Good morning. Welcome again to City Church Online. Hopefully this won't be uh, too much longer. We'll be doing this. I do know that we're going to be finishing out this series on who does he know that he is. Um, then the next couple of weeks and then on June, the first Sunday in June, we will be having an outdoor service and we'll be letting you know about that. And then we're not real sure what's going to be happening from there, but we will keep you posted. So just keep an eye on online with Facebook and Instagram and, and our email, um, email system and website and all of those kind of things. So we will be letting you know. So as today, as we are talking about, again, who does he know that he is? If you remember, for several weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus is, in all of his confrontations with the leaders, he is pushing the envelope. He's more and more getting them angry at him. Because he knows that when his time comes, they're going to be the ones who turn him over to the Romans to be crucified. And so this week, as we're looking at John chapter 15, we are looking at a section of scripture that is the last week before Jesus died. Really, John 13 through 17, it all happens on the last night of Jesus' life here on earth. It's what we would... Uh, where the Lord's Supper was instituted. We see all of that that happens in the upper room. So John 13 through 17, all is leading up to that. The beginning of John 13 is the beginning of the Passover meal with the disciples. John 17 ends. John 18 begins with the arrest in the garden, and they take him for trial and crucifixion, and then he rises again. So as we're thinking on this, and this is his last night, I want to challenge you to think of a question, and this is not a, a fun question to think about, but it's something I think we could all learn from and, and, and think through because the reality is we're all going to be there one day. The question is, what would you say to your loved ones if you knew you were going to die the next day? That's kind of depressing to talk about, but we're talking about Jesus knowing this is his last night on earth. This is last night before he's crucified. And so he's, he's thinking, what's he going to share with these guys? John 13 through 17, as he's beginning this meeting with these guys, there's several things that he talks to the disciples about. You know, the first thing is, when they get into the room, nobody washed anybody's feet. And that was part of the culture of the day. So Jesus takes off his robe, he gets a towel and a basin of water, and he washes the disciples' feet, and he teaches them about serving one another. So he sees it's important right before he dies that these guys understand this concept of serving one another. And then, right after that, he says, guys, I just want you to know, one of you is going to betray me. And so the disciples get all upset. They begin to think, who is it? And it's funny, if you look at the disciples, none of them ask about anybody else. They ask about themselves. They don't say, is it Judas or is it John or is it Peter? They all ask, Lord, is it, is it I? 
And if we think about that, these guys are have been with Jesus now, the 12 of them, for about a year and a half, 24-7. They've seen miracles. They've seen his arguments with these uh, Jewish leaders. And when he says, one of you will betray me, they automatically start thinking, I might possibly be the one who could do it. That's a scary thing. But it's, it's an honest opinion from the guys, and that's good. And so Jesus is walking with them through this. Then he reminds them, hey, guys, I'm telling you right now, love one another even as I have loved you. He's preparing them through service, through the idea that someone's going to betray me, that you need to love one another for what the next day is going to hold. Because these guys are going to have to realize that once he's gone, and even the next day, they're going to have to love one another, serve one another, because he's not going to be there. He encouraged them during this time to not lose heart. Now, I can't imagine as the guys are sitting around enjoying the Passover feast with Jesus, having a a party of sorts, and Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And so they're thinking, well, I mean, why would my heart be troubled? But he's challenging them on this. And then he tells them, hey, you know what? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And yet he's also saying, I'm going to be going away. I'm going to be leaving you. And when I leave you, I'm going to leave you another comforter. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes in a unique way in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on people for anointing for a specific ministry for a specific time. So you see the Holy Spirit came on King Saul when he first became king. The Holy Spirit worked with him and walked with him for a long time, but then Saul turned the other way and the Holy Spirit left. But in the New Testament, Jesus is saying he's going to come, he's going to be with you, he's going to dwell with you. And he says by doing that, because the Holy Spirit is dwelling with you, there's a couple of things that you need to understand. The great works that you've seen me do, you are going to do even greater works. Now, there's been all kinds of debate over the years as to what that means. But the basic concept is Jesus, when he was here on earth, was one person. Yes, he was God in the flesh, but he limited himself to being the one man, Jesus Christ. So he could only impact a certain number of people. He could not impact the whole world with his teaching, with his uh, presence as a human being. But he's saying you, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to reach the whole world. You're going to do greater works than I've ever done. Greater to an extent, reaching out further than I can reach. And he says, you know what, also, you're going to be able to pray confidently. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, you'll know the Father's will. And when you pray the Father's will, you know that the things that you're praying for are being answered. And so we have the Holy Spirit to to lead us in our prayer. And he just says, again, the Holy Spirit's going to dwell within you. He's going to be there. I'm not leaving you as orphans. The Holy Spirit will come alongside of you. And then at the end of chapter 14, he's been telling the disciples all this in what we call the upper room. He's there having the meal with the disciples. And in chapter 14, verse 31, he says, Rise, let us go from here. And so they get up and they leave the room and they begin to walk. And we know that they eventually walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, as they're walking on the side of the wall of the temple is a big engraving 
of a grapevine because in Isaiah 5, Israel is known as the vine. Now, they're known as the vine that doesn't produce fruit, but they're still known as the vine. And so when they built the temple, they had this big mural of a vine on the side of the temple. So the disciples are walking by this. They're walking to an olive grove. And Jesus tells them this, I am the vine. Now, if they were familiar with their history, which they probably would have been, they would recognize that he's saying this in replacement of the nation of Israel. He's saying, I now am the vine. The Old Testament vine of the nation of Israel is no longer the one that you need to look to. You need to look to me as the vine. Now, this passage in John chapter 15, we could preach on John 15 for a whole year and still not get everything out of it. So there's a lot of things there about abiding and and what does that mean? And and so if you think about it, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the, the branches, abide in me. But he's just told them a few minutes earlier, I'm going away. So how do you abide in someone who's not going to be around? Well, he answered that, remember, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be in you. John 14, 17 says, he dwells with you and will be in you. So, but I can remember early on when I first started studying this passage a long time ago, I looked at this passage very selfishly. I looked at Jesus is the vine, so he's going to provide me with all the sustenance that I need. The vine sucks the nutrients out of the ground and spreads them out to the branches. So I began to say, hey, this is great. It says I can pray and God will answer my prayer, that I will have all these different aspects about abiding in him and the faithfulness and the intimacy with him. And so I began to focus on that. And those things are true in this passage. But if you think about it, what is the purpose of a vine? The purpose of a vine now here in South Carolina, I don't know what that means. Kudzu and the vines go all over the place. I hadn't quite figured out what that is for. But a grapevine has a purpose. And that purpose is to bear fruit. If you think about it, my favorite grapes actually are seedless grapes. But seedless grapes are an anomaly. They're not, they're not supposed to exist. A seedless grape really doesn't do any good. It tastes good, but it does not bear fruit. It does not have the seed within it. But a grape that has seeds, it continues to bear fruit. Some of it is the grape falls to the ground, the seed falls in the ground, and it bears fruit. Some birds come and pick the grapes and carry the seed long ways away. Sometimes the wind carries the seeds long ways away. But the whole point is, the, the point of a vine, the point of branches, the point is to bear fruit. And so as we think about that today, let's not be selfish and just think about how abiding in Christ helps us to walk in victory, helps us to overcome sin, helps us to live in a way that, that makes our lives better. But the reason we're to abide in Christ is to bear fruit. Now, what does that fruit look like? I've had people tell me over the years, they, they limit the bearing fruit to only sharing the gospel. That if you're not leading people to Christ, you're not bearing fruit. Well, I share the gospel a lot. 
but I don't have the fruit in the sense of people coming to know Christ. I will share the gospel sometimes, many times, and somebody else comes along and reaps the fruit. But it's the idea is that's part of it. And so what are some kinds of fruit? Well, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul is saying there in Galatians that this is, if we are abiding in Christ, if we're abiding in the vine, we will bear this fruit, that we will grow in our love, we will grow in our joy, we will grow in our peace and our patience and our kindness and our goodness and our faithfulness and our gentleness and our self-control. He doesn't say that we will do it all right. He doesn't say we'll always be these things. But as we grow and as we begin to walk with the Lord, we will see these things being developed in our lives. So we have the fruit of the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer says this, Through Him, talking about Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. When we stand in church on Sundays, not doing it right now, but when we stand in church on Sundays, when we worship online with David and Tessa, we understand that we are lifting up praise to the Lord, and that is bearing fruit. We're honoring Him. We are recognizing and helping other people to see Him. We are bearing fruit. It's the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Now, the next part of fruit, it doesn't say the word fruit in it, but I want us to understand how this is part of bearing fruit. Paul says in Romans 15, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor saints at Jerusalem. Part of our fruit bearing is the idea that we are generous with what we have. Now, we could talk about tithing. We could talk about giving to the church, and that's very much a part of it. The church is a place where you bring the offerings that God has given you. You, you give of the overflow of what God has given you. But what we need to understand is there's many opportunities to, to be part of giving and bearing this type of fruit. It may be that in the midst of this quarantine, you've taken groceries to someone. It may mean that you've helped to, to watch someone's kids or you've done carried uh, stuff to people who have been in school and need different things. Maybe you don't even, you're not buying the groceries, but you're going for an older couple to pick up their groceries at Walmart and bring them to them. We're giving of ourselves. We're giving of our money. It's this idea that we're a generous people, and that's bearing fruit for what Christ has done in our lives. And then in John chapter 4, verse 35, this is where we talk about sharing the gospel. John 4, 35, Jesus tells the disciples, Do you not say there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes, and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, Jesus is not just using a metaphor here. What's happening in this story is Jesus and the disciples are just outside 
of a city in Samaria. Jesus has just talked to the woman at the well. She has gone into the city to tell all of her friends, I have met the Messiah. Remember that? We talked about that a few weeks ago. Brian shared about this woman at the well who asked Jesus point blank, and he told her he was the Messiah. So she runs to town, and she tells her friends, and they come out. Well, what's happening is the disciples are going, hey, let's eat. Let's get out of here. We're not supposed to be here. And Jesus says, no, look, you're saying four months, and then the harvest. I'm saying, look, the fields are white. He's pointing to those people coming out of the city, coming to meet them, that now is the time to bear the harvest. Now, we've talked about this before. Maybe some of you online don't know this. But 42% of the world's population has no access to the gospel, has no way of hearing the gospel. Now, that's, that's terrible. But that's fields that are white for harvest. We just need to go and reap that harvest. We need to go and tell people about Jesus. Maybe you have a neighbor who is white unto harvest, who needs to know about Jesus. And so the, the issue here is we are extending the gospel. That's part of bearing fruit. And then this last one kind of upsets people sometimes, but it's really the fruit of, some people would call it social justice, but the idea is taking care of the people who cannot take care of themselves. James says in 127, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, the widows and the orphans in those days, still we need to minister to widows and orphans, but these were the most vulnerable in society. These were the people who had no opportunity to have jobs, had no opportunity to take care of themselves, and they were treated basically like the scum of the earth. And Jesus is saying, if you really want to prove, James is saying, if you really want to prove that your religion is true, you'll take care of these ones who cannot take care of themselves. Now, somewhere along the line, the church relegated that to the government. But it's not the government's job. It's our job to bear fruit. And we can only bear any of this fruit if we abide in the vine. But Jesus did say, if you abide in the vine, you will bear fruit. So the question is, if we're, we're not bearing fruit, then are we truly abiding in the vine? If our lives aren't being changed, if the world's not being changed, if people aren't hearing about Jesus, if people aren't having their needs taken care of, if we don't have love and joy and peace and patience and all those fruits, then are we truly abiding? And I was listening to a message earlier this week and then talking with a friend of mine. And the idea is here, what Jesus is offering in John chapter 15 is so much more than sometimes we even want. We almost get afraid of abiding in Christ because of what that will mean for our lives. And so with that, I want to show you an illustration 
uh, of something that maybe we can think of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood as we think of this illustration. So as I, a few weeks ago, I got a new pair of shoes. And these new pair of shoes, actually, I ended up getting them free. They were on sale. I thought, that's a great price. And then when I got ready to order them, I realized I had a coupon and, and they, I got them free. But they're new shoes. The problem is, I don't have them on right now. I've not been wearing these new shoes today. I'm wearing Luke Gorick's favorite pair of shoes, my black Sperry's with no laces. But if you look at them, they're pretty ragged out. They're dirty. They got stains and tears. The bottom's falling out. Why would I choose to wear this when I have this? Now, the question is, why, when Christ offers us to be able to abide in Him and to bear fruit, would we choose to live the old way? Scripture says we've been created anew, and yet too often we like to go back to the old. So what we need to do is, like Fred Rogers, is get rid of the shoe and put on the good ones. I'm not going to tie them. But the idea here is Christ has made us new. Quit living the old. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. We thank you that we can abide in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We have the opportunity on a regular, daily, moment-by-moment basis to be in communion with you and therefore bearing fruit. Lord, help us to quit living the old, to get out of the junk and bear fruit in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. just want to remind you again, uh, this video series, the ways we've been doing this, Sometimes it's hard to know how to contact us. Well, we want to make that as easy as possible. So if you want to talk to someone, if you want to ask about the messages, you want to ask about our church, you have an issue, you're struggling with the quarantine and all of that, feel free to email us at elders at thisiscitychurch.org or info at thisiscitychurch.org. Or if you just want us to pray for you on something, you can email us at prayer at thisiscitychurch.org. And so we look forward to hearing from you and seeing what all God is doing in your life during this time. I also want to remind everybody about our city groups. We again meet on Sunday nights, Monday nights, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and Thursday nights. And then our teenagers meet on Friday afternoons. If you get online, it talks about the different topics that we're covering in those nights. And so we'd love to have you join at least one If you want to join them all because you're at home and don't have anything else to do, or if you want to join them all because you see all the topics and you think they'll be great, we'd love to have you join us. And as I was saying at the beginning, we are wrapping up this series next week. Then the first Sunday in June, we will be having our service here outside, having enjoying the time together. Here is Brian and Jenny's house. 
If you need the address, uh, email us at info at thisiscitychurch.org. And then from there, we're not totally sure, but we will let you know real soon because it's going to be two weeks from now. Um, So please plan on joining us with that and have a great day.